the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Salem Media Group. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good morning, every, or good afternoon, everybody. Still think I'm uh, a <laughs> morning show here. You know, let's just start out with uh, uh, Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens. If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do, you're misinformed. <laughs> you say that about most of the talk shows, too, or the uh, news shows, too, except for WHK. Anyway, um, you know, we, I, I got some really interesting stuff today, and I'll just uh, suggest that if you want to get any of the material that you hear on my show, uh, you know, go to WHK1420 and uh, go to the local podcast and go down to uh, Smart Investor Show Tim Hayes. And it goes right to my webpage, which is really great. And by the way, there's, uh, if you go to my webpage, look at Insights, and there's a whole bunch of new stuff in there. Uh, that is constantly changing. Insights is constantly giving you new information, some of the things that we think at RBC are very prevalent and very important for your thought process right now, okay? So, uh, but you can also, uh, you know, we talk about our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list, uh, you know, our business owner's guide to transition, the Savvy Credit Investors, the Savvy Investors Credit Handbook. Sorry about that. Boy, you think interest rates going to go lower? You know, if they are and you're on a flexible interest rate, it'd be dynamite for you. Don't forget our wealth plan. It's interactive. So you can be on the computer, and I'll know about it, and we can talk about it later on. And also our family and uh, family uh, inventory uh, workbook. What? There's no better time. I mean, just think of what happened in the last three months. If you had, you know, get your financial house in order. This is the way to do it. The wealth plan and the family inventory workbook are a combination that can't be beat. Trust me on that. All right. So. Um, this is a live show, so if you if you got any questions, the number here is 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. You know, uh, it. I think the uh, you're going to have some of the environmentalists go after the cotton industry, and the reason is up to twenty thousand liters of water is needed to produce one kilogram of cotton. Well, it takes up to twenty seven hundred liters to produce the cotton needed to make a single T-shirt. Uh, I can I can see that being a big environmental thing coming up here. And since 2011, the stock of low-cost rental housing has decreased by 4 million units nationwide, leaving only 7.4 million units for the country's 11 million extremely low-income income renters. It tells me that's not good either. Uh, March 20th and April 30th, the Dow Jones uh, Industrial Average rocketed nearly 6,000 points, a jump of of 31% creating over $7 trillion in capital wealth. Uh, the, the April gains were the biggest in one month since the, uh, uh, 
I think it's 1920. <laughs> so, look, a uh, couple things um, I saw this week that are kind of important. If you don't know what capital T, little a, little a, capital S is, you should. You know, I talked about the cloud before most people knew about the cloud. I talked about software as a service way before anybody talked about the cloud or talked about software as a service, and that's S-A-A-S. So now you better know what T AAS is. Uh, just a hint. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, one of the things I noticed this week was uh, what is known as the money supply metric. And boy, uh, that looks awfully good for stocks. Uh, you know, money supply is just rocketing up. So uh, usually when money supply is, is up as much as it is, uh, it's very good. But look, the S&P 500 finished the month of May with a gain of 4.53%. So much for go away in May and come back All Souls Day, all right? This is the best performing May on record since 2010 when the index posted a 5.3%. I don't know why these guys want to go away in May all the time because May uses – I've had some great success in May. Now, one of the things we, we look at is the 10-week uh, for the S&P uh, – the SPX or the S&P 500 indicator. It measures the percentage of stocks in the S&P 500 that are currently trading above its 10-week moving average. It had an end-of-day calculation of 95.6 last Thursday. Wow. That's the highest I can ever remember. Uh, and over the last week, we saw both the Spider Dow Jones Industrial ETF and the iShare small cap return to an overall positive trends and then reverse back down. So it's, it's kind of interesting what's going on. Uh, you know, look, the market never does what <laughs> you want it to. So just remember that, okay? Uh, it's doing things that are, um, you know, it's doing what it wants. Now, look, I talked about our dividend growth portfolio. And just so you know, Johnson Johnson has raised its dividend every year for the past 57 years. That means that they've raised it through market crashes and they hold a AAA rating higher than the federal government. Congratulations, Johnson & Johnson. So uh, I thought that was a, a very interesting statistic, and, and uh, not, not many people were uh, paying close attention to that, uh, my humble opinion. Uh, you know, one of the things that people were talking about was this V-shaped recovery, and that was Tom Lee. We're going to talk about him in one second. But I don't think we're going to have a V-shaped recovery for interest rates. Uh, you know, we had a fairly jittery market, I think, and uh, – you know, I, I think it's it's one of those things where, you know, you, you got to be uh, paying closer attention to what's going on out there, uh, uh, simply because things are, are moving fast. But you know, Tom's Tom talked about an overview, and Tom is from Fundstrat, and uh, we're we're very close for Fundstrat because Rob Schleimer, who used to be our head technical analyst for all of RBC, is now with them. So we listen to uh, Rob every week. By the way, he's a he's a brilliant uh, technician. And I get to read uh, all the rest of the guys from Fundstrat, too. And Tom has really called this well. You know, he's the guy that called for a V-shaped recovery. Remember, a month ago, he said New York City was burning, okay, from case growth. New York City, Tri-State is the epic center and crisis in nursing homes, uh, risk of reinfection, you know, that type of thing. Vaccines were 12 to 18 months away. The second wave risk, uh, the S&P was struggling, you know, uh, hard. Today, New York uh, tri-state cases are down 90% from the highs. U.S. is no longer the epicenter. Uh, Korea, the CDC says zero cases with reinfection. So uh, 
I just think, you know, you got to, you know, we're seeing things that are changing. All right. So I think this, you know, what he's talking about as a strategy forward is that the policy steps have been lightning fast and they've reduced the risk, which is, you know, you got to give the administration and the Fed a lot of credit for that. He also talked about uh, U.S. equities, uh, you know, and he said the bottom on jobless claims peaked. So, you know, you're not on a, uh, your unemployment has bottomed, let's put it this way. And regardless of the economic contour, whether it's L, U, I, or V-shape, equities uh, recoveries are, are V-shape because of liquidity. So earning per share is going to crash first, and then operating leverage is going to kick in. You watch. So, uh, you know, he, he talks about that. So what he's talking about is he says buy the epicenter or quality. So he says buy the epicenter now. So where – the stocks got hit the hardest. He's telling you to buy. Now, this was Monday. This was before the, you know, the uh, the airlines and all those names rallied. So he's done a pretty good job. So buy the epicenter now is what Tom's saying. And uh, we'll just leave it at that, okay? Now, uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk about was uh, commodities. Uh, you know, we have Helma, uh, Hellelma Cross. I always, I always call her Helma for some reason. Halima Cross, I think it is. She's head of our uh, global commodity strategy. She's a very bright lady. And she had some things to say. And she said, OPEC and the wrap-up, and I'll be watching you is what it comes down to. And it was it, what was interesting about the OPEC uh, meeting is was a rare drama-free day for OPEC. As, you know, 23-member producer groups approved a one-month roll on the October cut in almost record time. I don't think that's ever happened. <laughs> so OPEC is losing their mind or something like that. But uh, uh, look, the errant producers such as Iraq and Nigeria have vowed to reach 100% conformity and compensate for prior underperformance. And we think they will likely continue to have some commitment issues over the course of the summer, obviously. But the potential return of uh, the Libyan output could also cause some uh, considerable challenges for OPEC leadership. But nevertheless, uh, Prince... Abdulaziz's relentless focus on public displays of atonement may help to avert uh, even more uh, free riding and uh, ensure, you know, greater collective cohesion as the markets, uh, you know, the, the recovery is gaining uh, some pace now. So uh, that's the good news. And and uh, so it was a very unusual time at OPEC. <laughs> uh, and, and they did cut production. So, um, you know, what I thought was interesting was oil last week broke into the gap, okay? There was an $18 gap, which I'd never seen before. I'd never seen oil go down $18. Of course, I'd never seen, you know, uh, oil minus $40 at the close of uh, the day where they, they passed the oil from one person to the other. So, you know, it, things have been changing. Things have been going crazy lately. But, you know, we did have the $18 gap that fell when Saudi and, and, the, and the Russians started, uh, you know, hemming and hawing at each other. But we've entered the gap, and usually when that occurs, you're going to uh, gonna fill the gap, okay? So, look, I had uh, Christine call me, and uh, she said, Tim, you never talk about CDs. And, uh, you know, the problem is I do, I do uh, CDs quite regularly. I do bonds quite regularly, but it's pretty hard to, to find a yield, Christine, uh, that is – you know, going to help you, uh, look, let me just step back. In, in times of uncertainty, risk-adverse investors tend to gravitate towards what we perceive the safer investments like CDs, 
treasuries, that type of thing. Most investors recognize the safety provided by the FDI insurance, uh, but often fail to appreciate the other risks they're present, most notably reinvestment risk. So we, we thought it, uh, you know, we, we've been talking to people about this for some time now, but look, if a bank fails, FDI insurance will uh, insure all deposits up to $250,000. Um, so not to worry, okay? Now, the, the problem is, is if you're buying CDs and you're buying them all at once, you got a problem. What you want to do is look at more of a ladder approach. So as it, interest rates go up and down, you're continually uh, replacing your CDs with another another maturity, another interest rate. And that way, if interest rates start to pick up, you always have money to buy, okay? And, uh, you know, we, we've, we've been doing this for clients for a long, long time, and uh, not everybody wants to be in the stock market. I get it, okay? Uh, you know, it's been kind of a crazy time. So, look, um, also there's premium price CDs, which give you a little bit higher yield. You pay for them, but uh, that's another thing that you have to uh, pay pay attention to. And I think if you focus on returns and you focus on, you know, not spending all your money at once, you're in pretty good shape. Uh, you know, so just something to think about. Now, one of the things that uh, uh, Lori Calcabina said this week, and I think this is important, she talks about um, what's jumped out at her. And small caps have started to outperform large caps in a very uh, significant way for the last two or three weeks anyway. And if you plot the Russell 2000's performance, it, it's at, in absolute terms anyway, relative to the S&P. Uh, the S&P, uh, I mean, the Russell fell sharply in late February and, and early March, underperforming the S&P dramatically in the first half of uh, March. So the S&P, I mean, the, the Russell put in the 2002 low, uh, 2020 lows around March 18th. And then, then what you saw is some of these things starting to pick up. Uh, but we still remain neutral on on the small caps uh and and longer term the, we, we do think there's a longer term opportunity in the space uh but not today all right so look small uh, cap leadership uh, got going when clear signs of, of healing in the u.s economy occurred and if that doesn't uh, continue then you have to worry a little bit all right so the value rebound now she thinks could last a bit longer so uh now she's still um, neutral on value versus growth right at the moment, but she does think that could, could last. So, uh, you know, if you look at the small cap sectors that were, were the, the best, uh, it was a real estate investment trust. It was consumer discretionary and consu consumer, uh, I mean, communication services. So now what is also interesting is the junk is outperforming within small cap. And there's a lot of dollar fifty cent stocks going to a buck fifty, you know that type of thing, and that's the stuff you really want to be careful with. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, believe me, if, if you get one of them, trade it. Don't invest in it. Okay, um, you know, there's a lot of small cap funds that are in good years, so you know you don't want to just, you know, if, if they're continuing, let it go. But look, um, if, if you look. Uh, at the Russell, you know, and, and just say, okay, what, what, what's going on here as far as returns? You know, there's been some great years in the Russell, but there's also been, uh, there's been one year in 1998 where they, they lost 30 to 40%. Uh, 
we've had six years where they lost 10 to 20, and we've had about uh, nine years where they've lost zero to 10. They've, they've had 16 years where they've gone zero to 10, seven years, 10 to 20, and one year where they went 20 to 30. Now, what's interesting is they did not, in 2013, the micro caps, I mean, I had a lot of counts that were up 30, 40% in micro caps, so she, she didn't talk about that, okay? So I uh, just wanted to, you know, let you, let you know about that anyway. Um, look, um, we are in a perfect, if you look at the anatomy of a recovery, we're on the equity market's recovery is, is a typical rhyme. You know, not, not everything in, in history, uh, comes out exactly right, but they do rhyme, okay? So, um, they're never the same. This time's no different, but it is, we are seeing a good recovery. Now, everybody talked about Thursday and, and the big decline on Thursday. And I think there was more of an absence of buyers than it was of an actual selling panic or anything like that. Um, so, and I just think, you know, we went straight up for a while. You never go straight up without a fall. By the way, if you're following Bob Dickey, if you go to my webpage, Bob talked about a parabolic move. He also talked about something I'm going to talk about in the fourth segment of this show. But he said things were going a little bit parabolic. Be careful. And, uh, Unfortunately, the day before, I bought a couple stocks, so I was a little uh, unhappy with that. But anyway, listen, we're going to be right back with the second part of our show. Stay tuned. This is the Smart Investor Show. Once again, if you have a question, Just tune in. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. And once again, it's a live show. So 216-901-0945 gets you uh, into the into the studio. Uh, that's 216-901-0945. You know, uh, last week, uh, we've been talking about Mark Mahaney's work. And, um, you know, if, if you watch CNBC, Mark's on there all the time. And, uh, you know, he, he talked... There's still an interview in Insights on my webpage. So if you go to WHK1420 uh, and then go down to local podcasts uh, and at, you know, Smart Investor Show Tim Hayes, you go directly to my webpage. Click on the top banner that says Insights. By the way, hit Bob Dickey and see what he said Friday. I think you'll find it very interesting. Um, anyway, Insights still has the, the interview with Mark Mahaney because it's important. I remember what we said last week. We said the Marines, uh, you know, they've been working on people's bodies for years. Now they're working on minds because, they, you know, now is a time where you have to think faster than your enemy, okay? And so they always had this quote. It says, whoever can handle the rate of change fastest will win. Now, a while back, uh, we put out a piece called Imagine 2025, and in the midst of a global recession, investors have rightly focused on the depth, the duration, and the consequences of the corona-led virus, or we'll call it crisis, okay? As we begin, you know, to emerge from that isolation and, and the quarantine, things will change a little bit. But this has been central to our cross-asset research for the past few months, and that's what Mark is doing, okay? And we'll it'll probably continue for many months ahead. So 
it's important to think about the longer term implications. So here's, uh, you know, we have a new piece out called Imagine 2020, which I think I can share with you if you hit the, you know, uh, if you go to WHK 1420 local podcast down to Tim Hayes, so uh, Smart Investor Show. It, on my webpage, especially on Insight, there's many contact me, email me, or that type of thing, okay? Uh, but there, there's several, there's four things I think you got to understand. Number one, what, what, what occurred here is an acceleration in the digital transformation. And if you don't understand that, you better, all right? So we believe that the increased need for digital experiences, you know, basically forced by the global pandemic, across both customer or consumer, I should say, and commercial landscape has accelerated the shift from physical to digital assets. No doubt about it. It probably took 10 years off the process. We see increased opportunities around multiple sectors currently in the throes of the digital trans transformation and a growing awareness and spending on software enabling these changes. Mark Mahaney, Matt Hedberg, I've been talking about them for some time. Social behavior is the second big thing. Humans are naturally social. We think certain long-term changes are likely. Some or many will be hypersensitive around uh, cleanliness and large gatherings, impacting bar and restaurant traffic, sporting events probably too. Uh, for others, we see less travel and tourism, again, a world less global, with implications ranging from the airlines to luxury goods as well as the uh, course of leisure, okay? And then capital allocation. Given the painful impact of a global pandemic, we don't believe governments or corporations will ignore the persistent warnings given historically, okay? We, we see obvious implications uh, across the healthcare sectors, uh, but also the need for corporate, uh, you know, the corporates to invest in their existing infrastructure, supply chains, logistics, uh, to cope better in the future. They're going to have to, all right? So we see a world with less globalization and rather greater local sourcing, okay? The other thing we see is shareholder demands. We think investors will inevitably, inevitably change their long-term views and equity risk premiums to uh, attach to sectors. There'll be government engagement. There'll be emergency actions. will always be on the horizon. While you know, prior defensive sectors have proved less defensive against pandemics than recessions, you know, we'll likely see a higher, uh, well, we'll just see lower multiples probably attached to them. Let's put it that way. What I mean by as a PE multiple. So if you understand what a PE a price earnings multiple is, you should. Now, if you'd like this report, I think we can send this out. Uh, I'm pretty sure, but just go to, you know, my webpage, contact me, email me. Okay. So, uh, it's, it's a great report. I think it's fantastic. My humble opinion. Um, now look, here, here's some things I've seen, uh, in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I, I, I looked at, uh, between stocks and treasuries and, you know, look, um, it, treasuries are up 18. 62% this year. The TLP is what I'm talking about. Uh, and the, the spider is down 5.2%. So treasuries have won the, the, the show here. And you know, I was looking at the chart and I, um, there's a thing called a cup and handle, uh, you know, type of a, of a ch chart pattern. It's usually, you know, there before a big move. 
And, uh, you know, I looked at it and it's, it's kind of a short term cup and handle, but you never know, but it does have a rim and all the stuff that you need for it. So it'll be interesting to see, but the PPO, if you don't know what the PPO is, you should, um, the long-term PPO is positive and, and the short-term PPO is turning up. So, you know, that's always a good sign. Uh, and, you know, so it, it might be that interest rates are going down lower because the TLT is actually the bond. So when the bond goes up, you know, bond prices go up, bond yields go down, right? So uh, there we go. That, that's one thing. Now, the other thing that uh, a lot of people are talking about is uh, – if I look at the advanced decline line on the S&P 1500, uh, now what I'm doing is I'm taking out all the, uh, you know, we have the mutual funds, uh, what they call closed-end funds that are bond funds, that have, a lot of those have hit new highs. But if you take those out of it, um, you know, Thursday was a real portfolio rattler. Uh, it, it surprised me. We went over 80 in the, in the bullish percent for the first time since 1997. And you, but usually uh, we stay over 80 for, uh, you know, like a month and a half. Uh, we stayed over 80 for uh, about 24 hours. So this was a different time. It's been different all along. But I think, you know, once again, the Fed meeting was one of the primary reasons for the renewed cautiousness. And uh, there was also some things about inflation. I mean, they're going to keep interest rates low. And then we, if you saw the PPI, it was much higher than anybody expected, uh, mostly food and oil prices. So, uh, that could have been a cause because when inflation goes up, P.E. ratios go down. You got to remember that. So, uh, but look, uh, if I if I looked at the A.D. line, uh, it's it's made a lower high, which is not good. OK, so that's something you got to pay particular attention to. And I I uh, I also think there was what is known as an, uh, two island reversals on the S&P 500 on the downside and the upside. I'm going to talk about that more in the fourth uh, part of the show. OK, so. Um, Anyway, you know, the, I, I guess the key is, is that, uh, you know, that could mean that we're kind of, you know, uh, um, coming closer to the b- bottom, you know, uh, than the top. Okay. So, um, you know, look, uh, there's a lot of people out there bottom fishing and, you know, this Robin Hood, boy, these people are nuts. Uh, some of the people that are buying some of this stuff, they're, they're bottom fishing on stuff that they shouldn't be bottom fishing on. And one of the big things that they bought was the UNG, which was the uh, the natural gas fund. And look, folks, I'm, I'm sorry, just because a stock's down or an ETF is down doesn't mean you have to buy it. Now, people were buying this thing last week, and then it, it broke down again. So, you know, you got to be careful with bottom fishing. You know, if you're going to bottom fish, make sure the thing has a long base involved okay don't don't go go out and get yourself uh you know in trouble uh and i've had several people have that you know that problem <laughs> shall we say now uh look i uh a couple things rob slimer had his uh presentation today and uh he said the s&p sell off from short-term overbought uh levels nearing important broad support band uh so you know, he he was pretty much uh, a little bit worried, as was Bob Dickey, you know, because the, there's a couple things. Let's let's talk about them. The put-to-call ratio was very, very low. That means the sentiment, the short-term sentiment, was too positive, okay? And now, you know, the, the American Association of Individual Investors is more of a longer-term thing, but also, uh, you know, we broke above the 200-day moving average, which is positive, 
But the other thing that occurred was the VIX. The VIX, you know, was I, I mentioned this a couple times. It did not go down. Okay, uh, but a lot of these people are, you know, what you saw was things like Delta and Alaskan Air and all those, you know, love. Uh, they they broke out, pulled back uh, to where they broke out from. So they're holding. So that's the good news. The same with the Confinos. Although, but uh, what I'm seeing is the daily momentum on all these are starting to turn over. So, uh, you know, it, it's something to pay particular attention to, I think. But uh, look, I, I, I also think that the if you look at the daily stuff, you've got to be careful. But it does look like the cyclicals and the financials are holding up really, really well. And a lot of them made double bottoms. So uh, there's they were up Friday. Uh, but, you know, I, I think there was a big move into cyclicals and then and now they pulled, pulled back. But the other thing that was really bothering me was the trend. If you don't know what the trend is, you got to look it up. Um, but it was it was way too low too. Uh, so look, we were above eighty, uh, you know, for a day. Um, which you you know normally when you when you get above eighty, there's only been five times in his. This is the sixth time in history. It stayed there for a month. Uh, this time it stayed there for a day. So uh, I think what you have to be thinking about is you know where are we going from here? And look, some of the stocks held up really really well last week. Uh, um, you know, some of the big banks held up. I mean, they got beat up, but they held up a lot better, and they, the charts still look great. But I think what you have to be doing is thinking, uh, you know, maybe we correct here for a while, and, uh, you know, you start to pull some money off the table because I believe we're in what we call bear alert status, which happens very, very quickly. And, uh, matter of fact, the move from 50 to 80 was the fastest move ever. 50 to 80. So, um, you know, we're going to talk about the bullish percent in a minute. But I think, you know, look, I think this is positive going over 80. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. So, hey, stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Listen to us anywhere, including radio.com. Okay, we're back. Uh, if you just tuned in, this is the Smart Investor Show. Once again, it's a live show, so there's a uh, number in the studio is 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. So the highlights, I think, uh, of, you know, uh, you know, we, we we have our friends at Dorsey Wright this uh, this part of the show, and they do a great job of uh, maintaining risk profiles. But we had the NDX hit a new high, but the VIX was very stubborn. It did not go down. The VIX is the fear index, which I thought was interesting. We had an overbought status as of, uh, you know, uh, for, uh, Thursday morning of 87%. Now, it's gone to – it went to 150 earlier this year, so – there we go. And we had 32 sectors that were positive. Uh, that is no longer the case. And then Thursday, we went to bear alert status. So, uh, you know, I think that's that's kind of interesting. So anyway, you know, we talk about the, the bullish percent here. And, and look, what this is, is, is a chart that Ernie Stabey, who's a protege of Charles Dow and a very smart guy, uh, a lot of his information was in the Wall Street Journal back in the 30s and 40s. And uh, I, I just read his uh, notes he kept a big diary and, and very interesting stuff um but 
What he wanted was a, a risk monitor that would, you know, get him scared at the top and greedy at the bottom. So what he did was he looked at basically 4,000 stocks <clears throat> and called it the New York Stock Exchange Bullish Percent. And w- what it is is the number of stocks on a point and figure buy uh, versus a point and figure sell, okay? And we just got to 80% of the stocks and a point and figure buy signal. And that's only happened, this is the sixth time uh, in history. So uh, it's usually positive, but the key is, is that, uh, you know, you usually have a sharp, quick sell-off just to scare the bejays out of everybody. I mean, Thursday didn't do wonders for me. I don't know about you. Uh, but we got to 81.4. We were, we were up another 13%. So we've had three weeks in a row where we've been up over 10%. So we had 13.6% more uh, percent more stocks on a point-and-figure buy signal. And what you'll find is, is that this goes that's in a column of Xs. And, and when you get above 70, when there's that many uh, stocks with point-and-figure buy signals, usually that's the market's too hot to handle. Okay? And then when it drops, you find distribution occurs a lot quicker, and we go into a column of O's. Now, I think we're very close to that right now, but I don't, I don't have that information as of Friday afternoon. Uh, now, the over-the-counter index was up 7%, and the world index was up 6%. And they're both in a column of X's, but I don't think they are. You know, I don't know about the, the over-the-counter index, but they're at 60, so they're not as overbought as the New York Stock Exchange. But look, it's very positive long run that we had 80% of the stocks on buy signals, okay? That doesn't happen very often. And although maybe people say, oh, you know, it's way, way over, yeah, there could be a correction. And it may be, a, you know, a sideways movement for a while, okay? But I think what you got to understand is, is that we've, when we've had this occur, what we found is uh, y- you've, you know, had a, a pretty good move afterward that. So if you look, uh, you know, we, we haven't been above 80 since 1997. That's how long. And we, and we had a quick hard sell-off in, in uh, 1998. And uh, then 1999, 2000, we're like shooting ducks in a barrel. So I don't know if that's going to be the case here. But if you look at over the period of time when this has occurred, you know, the one week, it's, da- it's negative. The one month, it's down about 1.3%. Three months, it's a, it's up about a half percent. Six months, five point six. One year, eight point five. So this is not a negative thing, okay? So don't uh, don't sit there and say it's the end of the world. I don't think it is. So while the seventy percent uh, above area is considered the red zone, where where risk levels may be elevated, the reality is the eighty percent of the stocks on the New York Stock Exchange are on buy signals being controlled by demand. We've gotten here with the participation of some laggards in areas like value stocks and small cap stocks. That's a big positive, okay? Now, most of the uh, the charts are still on a, a positive trend, okay? But they've been, the weekly momentum has been positive for eight, nine weeks. That's a long time in the stock market, okay? But small cap, large cap, QQQs, they've all been positive for some time now. Look, last week, I was watching TV, you know, because I sit and watch TV and, and talk to clients while I'm doing it. There were four or five of the biggest hitters on Wall Street that did not participate in this move. Can you believe that? Five, four or five of the biggest hitters. You know, Paul Tudor Jones, David Tepper wasn't exactly fully invested, he said, you know. 
Berkshire Hathaway they didn't buy anything. Okay. Now I want you to think about this. There is now over four trillion dollars in the money market as of Thursday. That's when they, they tell the numbers. Four trillion dollars, highest number ever. They've also said that two point five trillion dollars left the stock market and went into bonds in the last two months. Seven trillion left the stock market in two thousand nine. Uh, well, oh, from 2009 to 2018, and went to the bond market. So the bond market's been on this 40-year tear, okay? Uh, since oh, well, actually, it's a 30-year tear since 1980 till now. Now, there's a lot of there's a lot of fuel for the fire, still, okay? But look, I just think you know what? Right now, you want to be a little bit more careful. Uh, obviously, we, you know, uh, Thursday was a, a break in the action, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in the But, you know, the QQQ hit a new high. Now, the Russell and the value stocks did not hit a new high. So it's, it's back to that, you know, who, whoever can handle the rate of change the fastest will win. Okay? The old, the Marines. So, you know, the... The QQQs broke a double top back from, uh, I think it was uh, January or whatever. Uh, you know, so it, 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 that's a big thing. Now, what was really interesting is we had 32 sectors that were positive on Thursday. Now, that was before the open. These were all pulled back, so I'm just going to say them, but you all know that we had a big sell-off on Thursday. So, you know, just keep, these, keep that in mind, okay? Gaming was at 90 Real estate, machinery, aerospace, building, and autos were at 84. Restaurants, housing, semiconductors, textiles, business products, protection services, chemicals, and leisure were at 76. At 70 was software, electric utilities, and, and electrical products. So, you know, I'm probably waiting on all these, by the way. Probably you might have just been able to wait. Then 65, retail, internet, medical, steel, uh, forest and paper products and gas utilities. There's some, probably some pretty good buys there. In financials, we're at 58, computers, oil, and uh, non-ferrous metals. And then at 55, you know, so these are decent places to buy. Drugs, healthcare, telecommunications, and oil services. And then at 50 is biotech. Uh, so, look, there's only six sectors that aren't favored. Remember, just one month ago, one and a half months ago, I was telling you that there was no sectors favored. That, you know, so this stuff does work, folks. <laughs> All right, so when you're bearish and you're listening to the show and I'm saying that, hey, there's no sectors favored, pay attention. So we had some sectors. We had food and precious metals move from favored sectors down to just average. Waste management was unfavored and, and moved back up to average. We did have software, computers, and healthcare, which were really favored, moved back just to favored status. And, and medical, steel, and machinery, which were average, have moved into favored status. And then textiles and aerospace have moved into most favored status. Mostly uh, the aerospace is because Boeing went straight up. I mean, they did a bond deal, so they weren't going to go belly up. Of course, they have a 350% debt to equity ratio, but they went from 145 to 226 or something like that. So it's like $80, uh, which I wasn't anticipating, but uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, there you go. Anyway, the U.S. dollar, let's talk about that, uh, has shown some recent weakness. 
uh, when compared against a broad basket of foreign currencies. So the theme we have seen continue. However, looking at the individual relationship of the U.S. dollar and the Japanese versus the yen shows a, a slightly different picture as we actually saw the chart return to a buy signal last, uh, trading last Friday. Um, but look, if, if you look at uh, the, the actual dollar uh, or if you look at the hedged version of the yen, so, you know, if we looked at, you know, let's say uh, a hedged equity ETF from from Japan, it's actually breaking out, which is uh, kind of interesting, you know. Um, but the dollar actually broke its uptrend line, uh, or, you know, so that's something you got to pay attention to. Now, the other thing we noticed is, you know, we had yields up to 0.925, almost a percentage point, and now they're back to, you know, 0.725. So, you know, that's what I'm talking about, that, you know, the, the TLT. The, remember, bonds rally, yields fall down, okay? So uh, you know, be very careful there. Crude has been positive for seven weeks, got beat up a little bit Thursday and Friday. Don't know if that's going to stay. Gold was positive Friday. It's been negative for five weeks. takes a while. But uh, I think, you know, if the dollar goes down, you know, it broke its its, its uptrend line. Uh, so now we, we place a downtrend line. Uh, you know, commodities and foreign stocks will will be cheaper. And believe me, a lot of the foreign stocks are trading at eight, nine times earnings, which is cheap. So if that occurs, it might be a good time to get involved. Not today, though. All right. Um, and it, we'll, we'll see. And by the way, the, the CPI data uh, broke out, came back, and now it's broken out again. So uh, you, you'll see some of that. I did see uh, relative strength changes. Remember, it's very positive when these go to a buy. American Eagle Outfitters. American International Group, Allegheny Technology, Brunswick, uh, BJ's Restaurant, Bassett Furniture, Blue Links, Cheesecake Factory, Carnival Cruise Lines, uh, Chesapeake Energy, then Carpenter Technology, um, Deutsche Bank. We've had Denny's, LCI and Automobiles, Fifth Third Bank, Fossil, Helmer and Payne, Oil Drilling, um, H&E Services, Apollo Commercial, uh, Macy's, Lifetime Brands, Microchip, uh, in the semiconductor area, Mobile Mini, Occidental Petroleum, uh, Ramco, Tanger's Factory Outlet. They're both REITs, by the way. Schlumberger, another uh, oil stock. Transact Technologies, Ventas, and Weingreen uh, Realty, another real real estate. And then Vera Bradley, which got killed after the, new, uh, the offering. And uh, Norwegian Cruise Lines. Remember, they had a four, somebody buy 11% stake in them, an ally financial. So... Anyway, we you know we have a lot of uh, names here that uh, are going to buy, so uh, have a lot going to sell to. Too many to talk about today. Stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. We'll be right back with Insider Buys. Okay, we're back. Uh, once again, if you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show, and uh, I'm Tim Hayes. And so we talk about insiders quite a bit. So what we've done is we've talked about the general economy. We've talked about commodities. We've talked about what Lori Calcivina is saying and Tom Tom Lee. Uh, so big, you know, major strategy on the way down to stocks that have relative strength buy signals, stocks where insiders are buying. And then we're going to finish up with Bob Dickey, uh, who always comes through with some really great ideas or great Thoughts anyway. Um, so Jack Schuler, 
uh, you know, I don't know if you know who this guy is, uh, but he's the former COO of Abbott Laboratories, and he's a big-time investor. Last week, he purchased 1.1 million shares of Accelerated Diagnostics. Well, he followed that up with two other purchases, uh, one 100,000 shares and one 180,000 shares of the same stock, uh, AXDX is the symbol. Uh, also, uh, uh, Seracor, which is a biotechnology stock, a little $250 uh, stock, Armatus Capital bought uh, 1.7 million shares or about a 4.4 uh, million. And then uh, two days later, they bought uh, some more of it, uh, about, um, oops, wrong, <laughs> another wrong one here. Um, they bought another, oh, uh, 1.2 million. So uh, there we go. So two two major buys uh, of Seracor uh, from Arbitz Capital. They're pretty smart people, by the way. I'm sorry, I said uh, it's, it's 670,000 was the second buy. By the way, they own a, almost 10% of the company, so uh, that's a lot. Uh, now here's here's an interesting one. The Shea uh, Precision Group, and they make scientific uh, they make equipment for scientific testing, that type of thing. And Wes Cummins bought uh, 100,000 shares uh, or about $2.3 million. He's a director. You should look him up. I'll just say that. And then uh, also uh, Change Healthcare, uh, the the CFO, I love when CFOs buy stocks, uh, bought 100,000 shares at 12 bucks, uh, so $1.2 million. Love seeing CFOs buying. And here's another one, uh, Jim Bellardi, uh He's the CFO, COO, and CEO of Athena Holdings, which is insurance. He bought about 40,000 shares, which is a million dollars. And then also, uh, uh, this is a guy you should look up, uh, Grant Kev- uh, Valheim. Um, he bought 40,000 shares, too, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And then uh, principal financial partners, uh, we had Dave Ingram, who's another smart guy, bought a million shares of that uh, for uh, – a million dollars. And then uh, I think I uh, saw him, uh, uh, Chuck Brock bought uh, 4,000 shares for $100,000 of that too. So we had double buyers there. Um, you know, you, you'd like to see multiple, multiple buyers. The more, the better, obviously. And then we had a couple uh, bigger buys. We, our our uh, at, at QDEL, uh, which is uh, a diagnostic company, uh, we had um, Doug Bryant, who's the CEO, buy 5,000 shares or $800,000 worth. And by the way, I, he owns a lot of it, okay? And then also uh, Fossil, it went from like four to eight and then came right back to 475. And a 475, uh, no, 598, I'm sorry. The executive vice president bought uh, about uh, almost $900,000 worth. You like seeing that. Now, here's another one. Um, the chief executive officer of uh Fibrogen, which is a biotechnology company, Greg McKelvey bought $700,000 worth of stock. And then um, about three days later, he bought uh, $300,000 worth of stock. So, uh, you know, that's a good size buy right there. Okay. Uh, now, I, I, I have a lot of small buys. And I'll just say this a lot of the small buys are in smaller financial companies. I thought that was interesting. And then I talked about Upwork several weeks ago, where Greg Gresh bought some. And if you don't know who Greg Gretsch is, you should look him up. He's a very smart guy. He just was added to the board of Upwork. 
But I just noticed this week that we had six buyers of between uh, $12,500 and $25,000, which ends up being about a million bucks, which is really interesting. And then I had 10 buyers of um, a a company that uh, probably uh, nobody's ever heard of. but it's a it made a big move uh, up and down, and uh, so you know you got to remember that. Uh, but it, it's it's a very uh, small biotech. The symbol is CLDX, and uh, you should take a look at that one. Um, when you when you have that, I love when they have multiple buyers, uh, you know, and and people are uh, paying very close attention to you know something that they you know that we don't know about. Uh, and that, that's where I um, – look, we had uh, – I'll, I'll just state why we do this. Um, Imara was a name that I gave you back in March, and I mentioned, uh, you know, that uh, Pfizer had bought some and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of people had had bought some. So uh, that was at sixteen. Stock today, uh, well, I think it closed down to 49, but it was 60 at one time. Huge move, okay? So, uh, look, we started the week out. Uh, Bob Dickey came out with a point. He said the market indexes are up into some resistance areas, which, uh, you know, are a peak. You know, some peaks and, and pullbacks could develop over the next several weeks. So, well, you know, why do you listen to Bob? Because <laughs> he's a little early, but he's right. But, he, uh, you know, then he talked about uh, – Still being extended the next day, okay? And we, because we broke through that barrier, and, and we're getting a little bit parabolic. And what I mean by parabolic is, it's not a straight line anymore. It suddenly turns up, okay? There's a lot of stocks looking like that right now, by the way. The big names. Uh, so the rally, he said, had become near parabolic, and that's often a pattern that can peak and reverse quickly. And uh, you know, unfortunately, I didn't I didn't see Bob's work that day until uh, later on in the afternoon, and I bought some stocks that day, so I kind of kicked myself. But um, these were stocks that he recommended, so I'm I'm okay with that. Um, so when you get overextended, uh, you know, you have a you had a market advance that was steep, so you got to step back a little bit and say, hey, you know, hey, do I still want to buy? Okay, and I think a lot of people, um, you know. Uh, we're worried about that. And what, what he was worried about was, look, back on uh, the first week of April, we had what is known as, an, you know, we, we gapped down after a big move off, you know, from the March 23rd low. And we gapped down in three days. Uh, the first day we closed near the low. The second day we had a big day up. And the third day we, cut, we gapped down. Then we gapped up again. And that was the uh, big move. Was, that's an island reversal, okay? When you have a gap down, uh, you know, I, I talked about rat's tails on this show. That's when you have one day down and right back up the next day. But if you have a gap down, then you have a long tail, then a gap up. That's an island reversal. And that's important. And basically what we had was another version of that this week. All right. So what we, we've, um, you know, what we've talked about is, uh, you know, like kind of a tiny bubble. Okay. So, uh, you know, he, he said on, Wednesday, he thought there would be a speculative be- uh, peak may have occurred, and uh, that was because of the volume involved on on Wednesday afternoon. And uh, then, you know, basically he talks about islands in the market, and so we had one island reversal back in the first week of April. Now we've had another island reversal, and he says he thinks that, that we're going to trade 
you know, uh, between these two island reversals uh, for a while. Okay, so uh, you had a you had a buying, I mean, a selling climax back in April. Now you've had a buying climax, and so look, the pattern suggests that the price gaps left by the iron reversals are not likely to be filled anytime soon. So there'll be a wider trading range developing for, for the period. Um, you know, he thinks the range will be between 2,600 and 3,200 on the S&P and 22,000, 26,000 on the Dow. About a 15% range that w- it'll be enough to frustrate both the, the bulls and the bears. Okay, so remember that. So anyway, uh, look, um uh, it, it could be a, a long, hot summer, so just remember that. And I think what you, you want to be thinking about is what to do during that period of time. And one of the, you know, two of the areas, and we have some great ideas right now in these portfolios, the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list. There are just some great ideas that we have. You know, long term, these things are going to be, I think, big time winners. And um, I I mean, big time winners is what, I, what I'm thinking. And um so um, I highly recommend that. Also, you know, we have this Imagine 2025 portfolio that is something I think you should all read, uh, you know. So if you'd like to get it, please let us know. We have the Business Owner's Guide to Transition. Believe me, I've had several people uh, talk to vent- to uh, uh, guys that are going to take them by their company, and uh, the people we work with have got them a much better price. <laughs> So there's also the Savvy Investors Credit Handbook, the Wealth Plan. It's interactive, folks. You can mess around with it all the time. And our Family Inventory Workbook, no better time to get your act together. So these can all be had by going to WHK1420, going to local podcasts, down to Smart Investor Show, Tim Hayes, go to, go to my webpage. Get, you can get the digital, uh, I mean, the dividend uh, growth group. You can get the prime income list. And the Imagine 2025 uh, portfolio, I think, like I said, whoever can handle the rate of change fastest will win. Simple as that. Hey, thanks for listening. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Have a great weekend. And remember, buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.